we have been uh, going through the book of Acts, and we told you in the first week that the book is basically separated into three parts that mirrored what Jesus told them. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, and to the ends of the earth. And chapters 1 through 8 were all about what happened in Jerusalem. Uh, and so chapter, excuse me, 1 through 7, so chapter 8 here begins part 2, uh, when the gospel goes outside to the surrounding regions. It started with that outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, and now it's going to expand. Now Luke likes to jump around and introduce us to a lot of different characters. This is one of the things that makes this book so enjoyable is that he hops around. There's, 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 lots of, there's lots of cuts in the film, you know, and you're here with this character, and now you're with this character. And we have been, spent a lot of time with Peter and John. They're going to be here as well. Uh, and we, we spent time with, uh, with last time with uh, Stephen, the deacon. He was, of course, arrested, essentially on charges of blasphemy, and he was executed by stoning. And that ends part one of the book. It's like, wow, that's, that's kind of bleak. But here we go. Uh, my new favorite chapter in the book of Acts, verse 1, chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution, meaning Stephen's execution. By the way, we've only just only mentioned Saul one time in, in chapter 7, that he was holding the coats of the people who were throwing stones. He approved of the execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So here we meet this guy, Saul. Um, we're not going to get into his story today except to show that he kicked this thing off. He was the chief theology cop. He had the powers of not only the church but the state. And he uh, used it very harshly. We're going to get back into his story uh, next week in chapter 9, uh, but that's, the only, th that's his only bit here. The important thing to know is this. The killing of Stephen opened the floodgates, and it was now open season on anyone who followed Jesus Christ. Everybody had to flee Jerusalem because it was no longer safe to be in Jerusalem. The only ones, apparently, who weren't being hunted at this time were the apostles themselves. It doesn't tell us why that is. I think that's kind of interesting. I wonder if they were afraid, either afraid of the crowds, as they were before, or maybe afraid of the apostles themselves. Maybe they had seen so many wonders, so many miracles come, like, I'm not going arresting Peter. I don't know what he's going to do, right? Who knows? But everybody else is being arrested and thrown into prison, and so they flee. Now, here's the thing. Leaving Jerusalem was, was actually a good thing. Jesus had, had, remember, called them to take the scriptures out, to take the, the good news of the gospel out of Jerusalem, but they, they weren't. They were staying there. And sometimes horrible circumstances arise that God still uses to create something really good. And that's what happened here. A terrible thing, the persecution, but it resulted in a good thing, a good situation of uh, these people all becoming missionaries. And we get a glimpse into a couple uh, a wonderful results of this situation. Luke is going to show us just a couple of glimpses uh, in this chapter, and both of them are scandalous. 
and awesome, okay? And he starts here with this guy named Philip. Now, we met Philip just in a list of names. It's not Philip the disciple. It's a different Philip. This guy was one of the deacons chosen along with Stephen, full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit to serve the people, uh, uh, to help take care of them, help take care of the widows, help take care, take care of the food situation and minister that way. And he becomes an awesome missionary. Here, let's pick it up in, chapter, or in uh, verse 4. Now, uh, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, pause. Uh, remember when Jesus was in Samaria? You know, uh, the disciples are wanting to call down thunder. There's all kinds of tension. He tells a story of the Good Samaritan in a different place. And it, these are enemies of the Jewish people. They, the reason they're enemies is that they're considered... It's, they have a lot of, like, history here. Like, Samaritans were considered the half-breeds. They were wiped out. They were the, the, the northern kingdom uh, was wiped out, like, 700 years ago. And, and those people ended up staying and remarrying and intermixing with the culture around them. They became the Samaritans. So that history, that tension existed for centuries to the point where when Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan, the, the guy can't even use the word Samaritan when Jesus says, who's your neighbor? The answer was obvious. It was the Samaritan. But he's like, the, the guy who helped him, the third guy, don't remember where he was from. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's tension here, right? And Jesus had gone there, and he talked to that woman at the well, and he gave her that prophetic word, and it blew her mind, and she went and told everybody about Jesus. That's where they're going back. I kind of wonder if they ran into that woman. It would be interesting, huh? So there, lots of good things are happening here and, and uh, as they are preaching the gospel. Uh, verse 6, the crowds uh, with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs he did, uh, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many uh, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was much joy in that city. I just want to reiterate, these were not Jewish people. They were the cousins, okay? The gospel is being preached outside the circle of ethnic, uh, 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 ethnic Jews for the first time, and people were responding. This was a really, really big deal. Uh, they were responding and not having to adopt the typical things you'd have to adopt to become uh, a, a worshiper of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Namely, following the Torah, circumcision, all of these things. They were just preaching Jesus. Even though Christianity was considered a subset of Judaism, all they're doing is preaching Jesus and coming to him. That's going to become a tension, and a really, really big tension in just a couple of chapters. But for now, know that's happening. But check this out. One of the people who, who uh, uh, converts, one of the people who believes and, and who wants to follow Jesus is this guy, this really interesting figure called Simon the Magician. Or you might have heard him as Simon the Sorcerer. Check this out. This guy is fascinating. Verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed uh, the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
Now, this guy was definitely a bigwig in his fields. Probably not the kind of magician that you'd see like David Copperfield or uh, 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 what's his name? Nathan Lane or, you know, one of these like street magicians who were doing these tricks. He probably did some of that too. Like he might have had a Vegas show. Who knows? Um, but... <laughs> But he's, it appears he's actually one of these guys who taps into, as Paul says, principalities and powers. And, like, he's actually dealing with forces uh, that you shouldn't really meddle with. And evidently, he has results to prove it. He has, he's been doing this for a really long time. He's befriended those powers. Now, there are stories of this man all over uh, ancient literature. And this was brand new to me. I, I found this out this week as I did a little bit of a deep dive here. Um, this rabbit hole is long, so I didn't go too far, but check this out. This is fascinating. Here's a survey of the ancient legends of Simon the Magician. He's said to be the father of a sect of, of magicians called the Simeons. Started this whole wing, apparently, of magic. Some early church fathers wrote about him, like Justin Martyr, they claimed that he was the founder of Gnosticism. I, I'm not going to go into explaining what Gnosticism is because that would take too long, but th that's very interesting. Um, he is also said to have been a Druid. At least the Irish Druids tried to claim him later on as they were trying to make this case against Christianity. They said, yeah, Simon was one of us too. So he pops up in all of these strange places. And, the story, and it goes on and on. The, the particular stories of him are even more interesting and sometimes kind of comic. This one, to me, struck me as kind of funny. He's often seen opposing Peter for reasons that we'll see in a second. Um, and, uh, for example, there's this one time when he, he steps out on this tower and he starts levitating in the air and Peter is on the ground. And Simon starts flying <laughs> in the story. And Peter looks up and commands that he stop flying. So he falls out of the air and smacks on the ground and dies. And it's like... <laughs> Wow, but the story doesn't end because Emperor Nero is there, of course, as you would expect, I guess. <laughs> and Nero's like, hey, Peter, you're getting executed. Now, Paul was also there. And he's, Paul, you're also getting executed. But this guy, Simon, I'm going to leave him where he is because I think he's going to rise again in three days. Isn't that weird? So many weird things here, right? Now, why that last part about him raising for the dead? Well, that's interesting because... In so many of these stories, he is divine or has some element of divinity. And I think it's because of how he is mentioned here in the, in, in the book of Acts. Luke says they called him the power of God that is called great. It's a strange phrase, and it's not entirely like understood. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. But it, it, it led him not only to being represented as like a wizard or a sorcerer or a druid, but, but also as the incarnation of, of the Greek gods themselves. In fact, they even have him. This to me was the funniest thing. They also, one of his legends is that he rescued Helen of Troy. You guys, the Trojan War was said to have been 1,500 years earlier. It's super weird, right? Now, why do I bring all this stuff up? Because none of this is in the Bible, as you can see. Why, why do I bring it up? Because what, whatever the truth is about this dude, he made an impact. He's everywhere. He's got a reputation. He is, he is a celebrity. He's a star. People know him like, oh, there's Simon. Dude, this guy is something. We've heard stories. 
And this guy, this powerful whatever he was, sees when Philip brings the gospel and says, here's a power that I have never seen anything like it before. This guy sees and he believes. The gospel gets in and here's what happened. Verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. After seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. He saw a power greater than anything he had ever seen before. You think these people were surprised? You think that caused some whispers, some gossip? You think he was on the cover of, or on the you know, headline of TMZ? Hey, he was all over the place. So, word about this whole scene, what's happening in Samaria, all these people coming to Jesus, and is this even allowed? Oh my goodness, I mean, it's really cool, right? Word gets back to the church in Jerusalem. Now remember, most of the people are scattered, but the apostles themselves are still there. So Peter and John decide to go check it out. So they travel up to Samaria, um, and uh, where people are being baptized. They go and check out the situation, and they decide to join in on the fun, because God is moving. They begin to go and lay hands on these new converts, and pray that they will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And they do. And then even more miracles happen. And that's a good thing, right? Well, Simon the magician watches this, okay? He's been hanging around Philip. He's, yeah, this is really great. I really dig this Jesus guy. This is awesome. This is so cool. He sees when Peter and John come, lay hands and pray. People are getting the Holy Spirit. And his eyes just get really, really wide. And you know what he does? He pulls out his wallet. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone who, 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 whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter's head explodes. You remember how, like, brash and fun Peter was in the Gospels, you know? He's like... He's a hothead, you know. He's pulling out a sword, cutting ears off left and right. And Okay, he only did that once, but maybe. Um, he's, he's this, you know. And then in Acts, suddenly he's like the statesman. Like he underwent some, you know, transformation. Well, every once in a while you see the old Peter again. <laughs> You're like, yeah, there he is. <laughs> this, is, this is what Peter says to him. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gifts of God with money. You have neither part nor a lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Everybody gets like really scared of Peter. You know what a better translation is? Golly. A better translation actually, uh, it's more literal in the message, which never happens. The message is never more literal. But the message in this case is more literal because here's what the Greek says. This, I feel like this is edgy Sunday. Can we have edgy Sunday? We're a little edgy this morning. Okay. Here's, here's what he's, this is what, how the message translates, this is what he says. Peter said, to hell with your money. <laughs> and you along with it. Why, that's unthinkable. Trying to buy God's gift. You'll never be part of what God is doing by striking bar bargains and offering bribes. What are you doing, bro?
Gaza. He's saying this is tantamount to offering or trying to bribe God. Now, there's many places in the world where where bribes are so commonplace that people just sort of come to expect it, you know, where, where anybody with money can sort of, you know, bend the scales of justice to benefit themselves, you know, by, by greasing the right palms. And that's what Simon, I think, is trying to do. He sees these miracles happen, and then he sees these, these two fellows come in and transmit that miracle power just by touching people. And he thinks to himself, you know, if I had that ability... I would be so set. I'd be so set. I could just touch a person. Boom. I could, I could take the show on the road. I could take my Vegas show. We could take it to, we could take it to, to Philippi. We could, we could take it to, to, uh, to, to Thessalonica. We could take it to Rome itself. I could pay 50 bucks a pop per, per, per finger. 50 bu- I will touch you with one finger and give this away. He's already thinking about monetizing it. He's thinking, he's thinking or that, that's one possibility. Or maybe he's thinking that, that, that he could be the arbiter of this power. Like, I already have followers who consider me to be a god. I can really intensify that if I can choose who gets power. But whatever the case, whatever his motivations were, he doesn't say, but whatever it was, he definitely didn't understand the Holy Spirit was God, that he was a person, you know? I think he thought of him more like, like he'd watched too much Star Wars, you know? Like he thought God was the force, like he thought the Holy Spirit was the force. Really. He was wrong. Look at Peter's instruction. Repent, this is verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Gall of bitterness, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? it? It almost seems a little bit out of place. Like, he's trying to buy this thing, and then Peter's saying, you're bitter. I heard a great YWAM teacher, Winky Prattney, speculate on this, and I think he's exactly right. Just consider this for a second. Can you imagine working your whole life on something, countless years, years, study, practice, rising to the top of your field, learning languages, learning spells, memorizing all of these things, and then suddenly these random people walk into town, fishermen, and they're just giving away something that's way more powerful than you ever had. They're just giving it away. Like you have been, you have dedicated your entire life to this. And these guys walk in, they're like, oh, I have something else. You can have it, you can have it, you can have it. And he's going, what? And Peter says, yeah, I can see, I can see that you are bitter. You are bitter and you must repent. You must turn away from the way that you have been walking. You must let go of your ego. You must let go of your attempt to have this kind of power. And that's the end of the story of Simon. We don't know what happens to him. I'm sure they did pray for him because he said, pray for me, please pray for me that that nothing else will happen. I'm I'm sure they did pray for him. But but they all left Samaria. And we're left to wonder, did he heed Peter's words? Did he learn that you can't simply buy your way in or, or deserve your way into the kingdom? 
Did he accept the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit, like salvation itself, cannot be bought or sold or in any way controlled, but must only be received in faith? We don't know. But now we we quickly jump to a different scene, a very different person who did understand this. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Samaria was in the north, north of Jerusalem, and he says go to the south. So he had to go the opposite direction. Bam. Uh, This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, Ethiopia back then is a a modern-day Sudan kind of area, northeastern Africa. This man was a high official of the queen. He'd probably been in the queen's court his entire life uh, and had great responsibility. We don't know his name, but we're just going to give him one for now. We're going to call him Caleb. Caleb was uh, uh, actually a name that is sometimes used in Ethiopia, so we'll call him Caleb for now. Besides his job, we don't know much about this Caleb. We know that he believed in the God of the Bible, and we know that he was a eunuch but that's all. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, I'm going to tell you this one time, but after that, you're going to have to go and ask your mom, okay? <laughs> a eunuch is a man who had his male organs removed or mutilated, probably when he was very young. This happened often in antiquity, and it sometimes happened with people who worked in a royal court. For example, if a man was working with the king's harem, this is what the king would, would often want, so that he would not be a threat in any way or be uh, tempted by the women in his harem. So this man, it's very possible that this happened to him when he, was, when he was very young and had spent his entire life working in the queen's court. So we can definitely surmise some things about, about this Caleb. He had no children, had no wife, and he would be ceremonially unfit to enter into worship in the temple, even the court of the Gentiles, according to Levitical law. So he's not ethnically Jewish. He's ethnically Ethiopian. He would have been very dark-skinned. Uh, and, but that, none of that was, I mean, people could still, we talked about proselytes before, right? You could have people that weren't ethnically Jewish that could enter in and could, could be converted. Um, and that happened uh, in many different places. Now, what's interesting is there, there was a, a large contingent, contingent of Ethiopian Jews at the time. There still is today, which is really fascinating. So he might have come from a community like this, and they, they could, have, could have been a, bunch of, a, a group of proselytes. But this man would not have been able to even become a proselyte. He would have been shut out of that, partly because uh, 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 very practical considerations depending on, on how thorough the mutilation had been because circumcision was part of that. So here is this guy, a really unfortunate lot in life, you know? But I love this guy. I love Caleb. Look, 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 at, look at what's happening. He has come hundreds of miles in his chariot. He probably took his vacation days to travel all the way through the desert to Jerusalem to worship God 
anyway, even though he couldn't gain access to the temple. This guy believes. This guy is committed. And when Philip finds him, the Lord says to him, see that chariot? There's the guy. Philip runs up to the chariot, and he finds that Caleb is returning home. He's been in Jerusalem. He's worshiped. Now he's going all the way home, and he's puzzling over a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Here's, here's what he's reading. We'll start in verse 32. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? That's a phenomenal question. Such a great question. I think Philip must have gotten this huge grin on his face. He's like, nobody's ever slow-pitched something like this to me before. <laughs> this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. This is, oh my goodness, yeah, the prophet Isaiah was talking about this Jesus who, who gave himself and, and, and he opened not his mouth and he was the lamb led to the slaughter. But, and he tells him the whole story. He gets up in the chariot and he begins to tell him all about Jesus. Who knows how long it took, you know, maybe hours explaining the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water and, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And they get down out of the chariot and Philip baptizes Caleb right there on the side of the road. This was always a beautiful story. But I, I discovered something this week as I researched it that just took my breath away. You see, this passage that he's quoting is from Isaiah chapter 53, okay? It's, a, like I said, a prophecy about Jesus. But the whole passage continues past uh, chapter 53. There are so many very uh, well-known passages about the joy of the kingdom, about the hope that the Messiah will someday bring and hope just pops everywhere, you know? It just reverberates. Hope for the hopeless, hope for the defeated, hope for those who are barren, hope for the sinners who, who think there's to be no redemption. And it goes on and on in these little bursts of, of, of pictures of the beauty and the gladness that will follow, uh, that will follow the Messiah, that will follow Jesus Christ. And if you go and read about 40 verses past where, where he quotes here, it's only about 40 verses, there is a promise, you guys, there is a promise to the foreigner and the eunuch. That's the only place in Scripture. Look at this. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Worship team, can you guys come? That is only 40 verses past where we were. You know what I think? I can't prove this, but you know what I think? I think they read that together. <laughs> I think they kept reading. 
about the beauty of what he was going to bring. And I think when they came to this place that the eunuch's eyes filled with tears, and I think that's when he asked the question. You have to put the question in context now. Is there anything that prevents me from being baptized? Do you see that now? Do you feel that? Is there anything that prevents me? Is there anything that would stop me from being baptized? Like, am I disqualified? Because you know about me, right? Like, you know. You know that I've been mutilated. You know that I've been ruled out. Am I still ruled out? And Philip's answer, you guys, is to get down out of the chariot and bring him into the cool waters of promise. God doesn't just love the broken. He wants to give them a special place at his table, see? He doesn't just love the foreigner, the immigrant. He wants to make them part of the family. He doesn't just accept the humiliated. He gives them double honor. And this is wonderful news unless you're someone like Simon the magician. Unless you're someone who wants your own honor, who wants to rely on that and your own resources to, to buy your way in and to control the grace of God, then in that case, it's hard news. But the invitation is there for him. You might just pass it up. You remember the, the parable of the feast? The invitations go out to all kinds of, uh, to, to, the invitations go out, right? And, and, but, but nobody shows up. Nobody comes. And so the master says, go out and invite others to come. Go to the highways and the byways and, the, and invite the ones who think that they don't belong. Invite the foreigner. Invite the eunuch. Go invite the homeless Invite the junkies, invite the hookers, invite the forgotten, invite the disabled, invite the ones that can't, that can't speak. Go, invite the ones who are sexually confused. Go, invite the ones who can't stop viewing pornography. Go, invite the ones who keep on lying but don't want to lie anymore. Go, invite the ones who have burned every bridge they've ever crossed. Tell them that I have a place for them. That is the great question. That's the great thing. Who can receive it? That's the question this chapter is answering. The ones, the Christians in Jerusalem were already trembling over. Who can receive this? Who can receive this Jesus? Who can receive this Holy Spirit? That's what we're answering here. Now the answer, my friends, is anyone. The answer is you. No matter your history, no matter your pedigree, no matter what you've done or what has been done to you that you think would disqualify you, you are not restricted. You are not forbidden to come and follow him. Do you need grace today? Do you need new grace? Then come. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you relate of like, man, yeah, I feel disqualified feel disqualified today. Maybe it's something that you did. Maybe it's something that someone else spoke over you. Maybe you just never felt good enough and you need a new influx of the grace of God. I want to tell you, there is water. What prevents us from receiving the grace of God? What prevents us from receiving that promise yet again? There is grace for you today. Do you feel burned out? Do you feel doubtful? 
you have doubts? Do you have shame? Do you feel isolated? I want to invite you to climb down out of the chariot. There is grace for you. If that's you this morning, can you stand? Stand and hear this, hear this promise. We're going to read the, the verse again in the message this time, okay? Hear this promise. Here is the promise of the Lord to you. Make sure no outsider who now follows God ever has occasion to say, God put me in second class. I don't really belong. And make sure no physically mutilated person is ever made to think I am damaged goods. I don't really belong. For God says, to the mutilated who keep my Sabbaths and choose what delights in me and keep a firm grip on my covenant, I will provide them an honored place in my family and within my walls. Even more honored than the sons and daughters, I will confer permanent honors on them that will never be revoked. Never be revoked. I can't fathom that kind of grace. And yet here we are. Here's the water. Do you want to dip in His grace again? I invite you to stand and sing this song if that's you.